Hello, and welcome to Making the Museum. I'm Jonathan Alger, and this is a project of C&G Partners, Design for Culture. Today, I am joined by Sibel Jones, CEO of SEGD. Sibel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm excited to be here. So, me too. So, to get started, for those who don't know you, could you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? I am based in Washington, D.C., and I am CEO of SUGD, and I'm sure some of the people listening don't know what SUGD is, but we are a membership of over 2,200 members around the world who are multidisciplinary designers of experiences connecting people to place. And this year, we turned 50, and through the years, SUGD has been the go-to resource for design excellence and wayfinding, placemaking, and experience design. And I think you know this, Jonathan, as a member, that each of our members brings a diverse set of expertise. But what we all share in common is this motivation to make the build environment more inclusive and intuitive, emotional and engaging, and sustainable and shared. And so I really enjoy my job, and I'm happy to be at SUGD. Excellent. So I know SAGD very well. I'm a past president of the national board from way you back were, in the- I was on the board when you were president. Yeah. And yeah, so that means we've known each other for a while. But yeah. now you're actually, the, you're the leader of the staff. You're the CEO. And I think one thing we're going to talk about today is what that's what that kind of leadership has taught you. And I'm wondering, could we talk a little bit about what you were doing before SEGD? Because there's a before sure. story- and then yes. I want to find out how you got into that. But tell the listener what you did before you were doing this SHG thing, which you haven't been doing that long, a few years. Right. I like to tell the story, which I don't know if I told you my origin story, but how did I end up in this field of experience design? I was a co-op student at the University of Cincinnati. We have a lot of people in our profession from that program. And mm-hmm. I had a Mohawk at the time, and I was trying to get a co-op in architecture, and funny, nobody would hire me. And so my advisor was so frustrated with me. I dressed properly for the interviews. I didn't spike my hair, but she finally said to me, listen, I found a co-op for you, and it's not in Cincinnati. It's in Washington, D.C., and this firm does architectural lighting and designs museum exhibitions, which I did not know that was even a field of practice as a young architecture student of 22 or whatever I was. And so I I started at a firm called George Sexton. They're still here. And that was the turning point in my life when I realized that I actually didn't want to do architecture. I wanted to do this thing that not many people knew was a profession called exhibition or experience design. And One of the first projects I worked on was the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Chicago Art Institute, and I just fell in love with the field. And from there, I went on to work at the Smithsonian for a little while. I worked at some startups and then was introduced, oh, 27 years ago or something, almost to Patrick Gallagher at the time of Douglas Gallagher. And he hired me for a very specific project. He was looking for a lead exhibition designer for his first Smithsonian renovation job, which was the Geology, Gems, and Minerals Hall, which some people may know. And I worked on that renovation. But the best part of that job was that I got to wear the Hope Diamond. 
And I also got to try on the Marie Antoinette earrings. Those things probably only come out of the vault maybe once or twice every 50 years. So that was very fun. So I went on at Gallagher. I was there for 27 years and ultimately became principal and helped to open their New York offices, Gallagher and Associates Designs Museum Experiences. And I worked on the National World War II Museum. I worked on the International Spy Museum and the Normandy Visitor Center, uh, the Flight 93 Visitor Center. So a lot of different projects. And I just love the field. I love the people. And that's how I got connected to SCGD. That's how I met you. Worked with a lot of, I think the whole, the basis of exhibition experience design is that you are always collaborating. And so you work with lighting designers and architects and project managers and media producers and educators and visitor services people. So you learn a lot. I felt like every project I was doing, I had to almost go back and get a master's degree because I didn't know anything about geology or meteorites. I worked on the, I think we both worked on this project, the Museum of Jewish Heritage in New York. Just learned so much about culture and religion and history. And it's a great job to have. And, but then about three years ago, I decided to make a change and SCGD was looking for a new CEO. And I'm so passionate about the field that I thought I had one more gig in me before <laughs> I got too old to change jobs. So I took the leap. That was a pretty huge leap. Is that totally true? Because I'm doing the math. Let's see, you've been, you were at, uh, you were doing something else for 27 years, but you started when you were four. So that means that. <laughs> Let's That's right. Yeah. I was the youngest person to go to college ever, Jonathan, and you didn't even know that. <laughs> that is my, that's like my running dad joke whenever I ask people, so I'm no mathematician, but if you started I with know. Yours, I try not to put the numbers together. Let's not do yeah, don't that. Don't We're all not good at math. math. Let's not be good at math. Okay. I so like that's to a, that's, be young at heart. That is, I love the, I love the, I love that the backstory involves a mohawk. It all began with a mohawk. <laughs> it all began with a mohawk. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so now we found out a little bit about, there's some stuff there I did not know about you, and you're going to regret having told me those things. Okay. <laughs> I know I am. I know so I am. So, and all your listeners. Today, <laughs> they have different regrets. Okay, so we're going to talk today about what leading an organization has taught you. You've been doing SCGD now for a little while. And did we say, by the way, what SCGD stands for? We did. Yeah, it's this. I didn't spell it out, but it is the Society for Experiential Graphic Design. Okay, good. We've gotten that taken care of. Yes. All right. So we're talking about what leading an organization has has taught you. And let's see, we have, as always, I know what your list is and, and my guest has the rest. But what what inspired you to come up with these specific ideas, and then we'll and then we'll jump into what they are. Because I get to see a different. It's a totally different experience for me now to be on the other side. I knew what it was like to run one singular design organization. Although that design organization is very diverse and does a lot of different things and has over 100 people, now being in my role as CEO of SCGD, I spend 
all my days talking to people like you or to students that are just coming into the field or to founders of fields of practice. And so it really gives me this amazing insight to the commonalities of our community and also to the differences in our community. Awesome. That's a great reason to be inspired. And uh, yeah, I'm on your I'm on your wavelength, hence yeah. the podcast and everything I've been doing lately. So let's just jump right into it. So we've got six points and a bonus point, <laughs> including a mystery question. Okay, so we've let's just jump right into it. Now, number one, okay. uh, number one is be agile. Be agile and be willing to reinvent yourself. That's the first thing that leading an organization has taught you. Say more about what that means. Should we all be reinventing ourselves? Is this about I your think, reinvention? I think we should. I started with this point because it was my point of departure of leaving a very secure, wonderful career of which many people and even myself in my family asked, why would you leave that job? You had the best job ever. And I did in some ways, but I do think that we have to be prepared for change. I joined SCGD exactly three years ago when COVID had just started. We were about to have America's racial reckoning sparked by events of violence. And I don't, we never foresee what the future holds. But what I learned from working on the spy museum during 9 11 is that you have to be prepared for the unimaginable. That doesn't always mean a negative thing. And I know that people have talked about, has the pandemic done some good things? Certainly, we know that we lost a lot of lives and it impacted a lot of businesses. But I do believe that for you to be fulfilled in your career or your education or your life in general is that you have to be agile and willing to reinvent yourself because work culture changes. Who would have thought five years ago and I'm sitting in our office in Washington, D.C., looking at a lovely brand new office building across from me that's completely empty. None of us would have foresaw that our work-life culture would be changed by working from home during the pandemic. So I think that as a leader, I try to remember that I should be thinking about who's going to replace me and what I'm leaving for them. So one of the first things I think about and agility and being willing to reinvent yourself is always to trust your inner voice. Everyone has this higher calling, and I don't mean that in a religious way. It's what you were put on this planet to do. And as we evolve from our, our teens into our life as, a, as an adult, our goals change, our views of the world change. And so it's very important that I learned that it, it was very scary to leave a secure, wonderful career to run a nonprofit. That's a very different kind of responsibility. And so some of the things that I did in that transition was to be really honest and to build consensus. And so facing leading a nonprofit during the time of COVID with canceling our conference and having to lay off staff members. It's not the way you want to start a new job, but you have to tell people what your intentions are and to be very transparent and to build trust. 
through your honesty. And I also think that we, it was interesting having conversations with my daughters when we were facing this, the racial reckoning, and I had to prepare a statement for SUGD. No one would have told me that I had to be able to do that within two weeks of starting a new position. And I had a conversation with the executive team and I gave them three or four options of what our statement could say. I did that in my design profession. I would always give my clients three or four choices. And I sat at the dinner table and I went through them with my daughters and they said, mom, you have to make the right decision for you as the leader. Yes, you have to listen to the executive you know, committee, but this is the difference in your role now. And I, it was this real turning point for me that I have to speak from my heart, but I also represent people like you, Jonathan Alger, and other members of the organization. I think that willing to reinvent yourself doesn't just happen in a career change. It happens every day with the choices and the decisions that you have to make. Does being willing to reinvent yourself mean you should reinvent yourself? Are we saying if opportunity comes calling, feel free to reinvent yourself? Or are you saying every once in a while you ought to? You don't know what you're made of. You really can't understand the complexities of your own identity and values until something in your life shakes it up a little bit. Now, sometimes we have factors, like I said, COVID that did it for us. I would say take those opportunities. And I think people know, I knew it was time for me to do something different. And for me, I knew that I would have greater impact on behalf of our profession in this role rather than working at one design firm. So that's why I made that choice. And I think the one thing I would say, Jonathan, is don't ever alter your path because of someone other than yourself. I love that. Because you have to own that. Yeah. I love that. I have so many questions about this, but you have a second point here that I think is even more interesting than the questions I was going to ask you, which is competition and camaraderie. The point here is it's important to have friendly nemesis, <laughs> peer competition, but allow the space for open conversations and camaraderie at the same time. So competition and cooperation. Yeah. Um, tell me more about that. There's a whole universe packed into this idea that we can see from, with you as an example, from your career probably, or even the fact that you and I know each other and how we know each other and how we talk. I can, I have a couple examples. One, I'm going to put you on the spot because we'll just start with that one and then I'll share some other ones. So when I joined as CEO, people were pretty darn surprised that I would make that leap. And why would I leave? As I said, it's really amazing job. And you and I got on a Zoom and we started talking and we talked, I don't know, an hour and a half about clients and life. And at the end, you said, thank God you're in this role now because you're like my exhibition therapist <laughs> because we had so much that we could vent and laugh and there's things that you can share with a peer even a competitor that you just can't share with people maybe in your own design firm or your clients so the other thing is that 
I'm a highly competitive person. I may not look like it on the outside, but when I have a job, I want to win. Like I just put everything into that. So when I started at SCGD, I was putting on a virtual exhibition and experience symposium. And I met Aki Carpenter, who is now VP at Ralph Applebaum Associates. And probably one of the reasons why I was able to leave Gallagher is because I didn't win the Obama Presidential Library. I wanted that project so badly. I'm guessing you guys pitched it. Everybody pitched for that project. And I was introduced to Aki and she was going to speak at SCGD. And I wanted her to be my nemesis, but she's the loveliest, smartest human being in the world. Right? She is an amazing person. I was like, oh, she gets all those amazing projects that we lost. And so when we were talking, I said, oh, my God, I worked so hard on that Obama library. And she said, I'm sure you did. And I pulled out the pitch deck to show her. And she said, wouldn't it be fun if we could all get together and look at all of our pitch decks and share and see what was similar and what was different? So it's a great thing to be able to put your guard down that might include your ego for a moment to realize that you might really learn a great deal about your blind spots, potentially, how you go about projects or just things you hadn't thought about. How, Jonathan, how do you run CNG versus maybe how I ran Gallagher? You know, we can learn these things from each other and we can lift each other up through that process. For sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that just the fact that you and I have the relationship that we have and that first call after you joined SCGD that just went on forever and we were laughing ourselves silly. I've always found, I'm always, I've always been that the goofy guy at the pre-bid meeting who recommends to every <laughs> all the competitors, hey, let's just go have a cocktail. I get this funny look from a few people, but a few people are like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. But I, because I think that, and this is for our dear listener, it's true, everybody has, wherever you may work, whatever you may do inside an organization, outside an organization, part of the ecosystem that serves organizations, there are people you're vying with for whatever. You're vying with for a job opportunity, for a promotion, to be selected to work right. on a new project, to compete against another firm in order to have the, the possibility of working on a project, whatever it may be. But yeah. what I've always found is that those people who are, to use your words, the sort of friendly nemesis, oddly enough, are the people with whom you have the most in common on the planet. Yeah. So this, yeah. it's, and I've always looked to athletics when you see these sort of wonderful Sports Illustrated cover moments where two marathoners, one has fallen and the other picks the other right. one up and they run together, neither one of them win. But they, yes. they both finish. And I've always found that to be a sort of a wonderful thing, that, that people who are training for the Olympics or whatever, they train together and then let the best person win. I've always thought that, that was, I think that's a lesson that any of our listeners can take away that don't forget that the people that you're up against in life, in whatever form, are often the people that you can learn the most from and with whom you have the most in common. That's how I've yeah. always felt. Can I add a couple of other points to that? Because- one of the advantages that I found as part of SUD as a member, even before I became CEO, is that through SUD, I met 
amazing leaders and lead designers that were just brilliant. And then we would end up finding projects to work on together. And the thing is, when you work at a large firm, people might say to you, oh, you guys always get those projects. But that's not true. Sometimes the smaller firm will get the project. Jonathan, I know that you teamed up with one of my former students at the exhibition design program at the Corcoran because they have a small BIPOC design firm in DC and you mm-hmm. guys teamed. So I would just say to the listeners there, one, if you're a smaller firm, reach out to a larger firm. I know Jonathan and others. I always try to encourage young people and young d- design firms, like go talk to these bigger firms that you may say, oh, I could never compete against them. But sometimes they're looking to team up with people and vice versa. We all win when we make room at the table. And one thing that's hard to do when you've been a leader for a long time that I had to catch myself is I don't always have to be the most important person at the table. I don't have to be the smartest. I don't have to talk the most. And when I can be quiet and allow other people's space to share their point of view, I'm going to be better off for that. Quiet leadership. Yeah, I would hope that let maybe we put out a sort of public sign that if you happen to see me at a conference or just walking down the street, yeah, and I think you're the same, especially now with SCV, yeah. you've always we've always had that same attitude. If we see each other, we just run over and say hi and give each other a hug. Yeah, we may be competing on something, but it's relevant. Yes. Yeah, as you pointed out, we've teamed with plenty of others. The challenge is for people who are in my position or your position is finding who they are because yeah. a firm or a group that's just just been born, just occurred, is often born. not on the radar. There's no seismic shift in the industry that allows people like you or me to see that. So yeah. it's almost they have to come up to us. So if you want to come up to well, me, please come up to me. Well, that's my job now. My new job, I don't know. I don't even know if I want to make this public, but I call myself like the experienced design truffle pig. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm taking notes here. Is truffle pig yes. one word or is it like a space? Anyway, I don't know. What, what the? Oh, I see. Truffle pig yes. in the sense of needing to snuffle out yeah, snuffle, I snuffle, snuffle out, out the, truffle. the best. Right. I snuffle out the best experienced designers. Experiences I try. <laughs> okay, let, that's another thing to go on the list of things we will regret having said here. That's <laughs> number like 62 so far. Okay. All right. N- next one, number three, the market. We can market our expertise to many more companies, markets, and projects than you may realize. That's your number three. Now, that sounds pretty darn interesting to me. Can you? What are you seeing from your new seat? Yeah, so, you know, SCGD is multidisciplinary and we have fabricators, large fabricators, very specific stone carving individuals. We have large exhibition firms. We have large wayfinding placemaking firms. We have small firms that kind of do everything in a mom and pop shop. And what I see is that if one market seems to be drying up. Right now, I've seen a tremendous shift of firms that were all focused on branded environments for workplace, right? So we know that there is a shift happening of some of these larger tech firms, right? 
Is that that building that you're looking across at that's a brand new building that you're looking at the empty interiors? (laughs) Is that that full of branded (laughs) environments that nobody is? It is. It has beautiful plants. It is. It's beautiful. So, yeah, I those skills are transferable, and I'll use another story. I was asked to go speak with the Saint Nicholas church i don't know if you know that project and it's opened down at ground zero it's a calatrava church oh yeah the one the um, the greek the greek orthodox greek orthodox church that took years to finish yep i know that yes but i was asked to speak to them because they had seen when i was at gallagher they had seen our national world war ii museum and wanted us to do a donor wall for them for their naked church Uh and i said oh did they expect me to show them anything no you just go just show up fortunately i spent the time on the train and i put together a deck of all different kinds of work when they started to tell me the amazing story of saint nicholas church and what it meant and the very early days of new york city and manhattan it was a beacon of light that's who saint nicholas stands for and then they were a place during 9 11 where people first responders and people down in that area would go and light a candle even if they weren't religious and certainly they, many people were not Greek Orthodox. I told them they had an amazing story and they needed to do more than just have a donor wall or at least that donor wall should tell the story of this community and that it had to be a non-secular narrative in some ways because it meant a lot to that part of history in New York more than just it being the Greek Orthodox Church. And they ended up doing, and I don't know because I left, and as you said, the project led on, but you could see a spark in everyone's eyes and they started to think out of the box and say, maybe we need to have a digital component to this and maybe we have to have a storytelling narrative. And so I think you talked about it, Jonathan, on one of your other podcasts, but it's about us being problem solvers rather than coming in and selling a particular product so i would say to this community you can delve into different things and you might need it again like we were talking about maybe you have to bring a partner and i know jonathan you guys work with potion a lot there's ways to tackle and build bridges to new industries and the one thing that i know from now especially being CEO of SEGD is that the differentiator of the work that our members do is that they understand the audience, they put them first, they put them in the center of the process, and they understand the impact of storytelling. And I I always use the Maya Lin, I'm sorry, the Maya Angelou quote that people will forget what you say and what you did, but they'll never forget it how they made you feel. That's what our members do. They have the ability to transform experiences in ways that become memorable to their end users. So this point is marketing to more companies, markets, and projects than you realize and being able to show shift and pivot. You use the example of uh, branded workplaces being a market that maybe is changing a little bit because of what you brought up earlier, COVID, and the change of people using offices. What would you say are the, you mentioned audience and storytelling that SCGD members know that. What other markets, for our dear listener who's wondering, what other markets have you seen 
from the perspective of the SCGD leader that people could shift to that maybe they don't know? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot in what might fall under the umbrella of placemaking or some people are using placekeeping. We're rethinking how do we draw people to communities, to downtown and in cities that are, as we're seeing, things are shuttering, but yet then we have increase of crime. How do we create destinations? That happens a lot by interventions that are community designed. It could be retail, it could be F&B, it could be art installations, it could be taking over like a downtown formerly a road that then becomes pedestrian right and that gets activated with pop-ups and things that become seasonal or lighting installations with audio or opportunities for visitors to come and share something that then can go out on the into the world through the internet and be shared as these cumulative kind of art pieces using are and things like that. So I'm seeing a big shift there. Retail is going to change. We can be leaders in that marketplace because I think retail is going to be more about the experience. So if I'm going to physically come to a retail store rather than purchase something online, I want an experience. What does that brand feel like? What values does that brand bring to life? That's what the up and coming generation wants to know. And that's where we can bring our expertise. And I even see the melding of getting our clients to think about maybe you're a museum, but museums are being really successful. It's sold out at the Smithsonian. The National Gallery of Art does a one night a month for like jazz. It's sold out. We have jazz at our sculpture garden. Now they have to do ticketing. So there's a demand. People want these experiences. And I think we are very well suited, maybe not even to wait for an RFP, but get a team together. You see a need, you see how to solve that problem, and you go pitch it. We are problem solvers and we have the skill set. So start maybe stretching yourselves. Have a client. Maybe you offer an additional opportunity for them that they may not have written the RP for, but you say, hey, I think this would really help your audience or this would really drive visitation to whatever that place or thing is. That's great. Be entrepreneurial. Listen to the other opportunities like you're talking about with St. Nicholas Church. But also what you're saying is be a little dramatic here, saying that the people who do these kinds of things, the listeners to this show are experienced planners and exhibition designers and museum leaders and visitor experience professionals. That's the that's the audience. Everyone's welcome, but that's, a, that's the heart of it. And what you're saying is that this audience is well positioned to help the world be what it's going to be post-COVID. You're talking yeah, about downtowns exactly. that need to become experiences, retail that needs to become experiences, workplaces that need to draw people back, place making, place keeping. All of that is about creating experiences that people want and that they're meaningful i think that's what our profession does differently certainly and this is not to say anything against retail designers but what we bring to this is the is the why we're not just selling a product we know that if someone's going to come and spend their time 
And you can see the numbers, the publications of how many people are going to live concerts again and food festivals. So there's a great opportunity that we as express designers in our community can step in and curate some of these things. Some of them might be permanent. Some of them may be pop-ups or agile. But I wouldn't, I, entrepreneurial is the right word. Let me do a quick station identification. If you're just joining, you're listening to Making the Museum. I'm Jonathan Alger, and this is a project of CNG Partners, Design for Culture. If you find this show valuable, please help spread the word. You can rate the show in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also write a review in Apple Podcasts, or you can just tell a friend. And a thousand thank yous for helping to spread the word about Making the Museum. And now, back to the show. We're talking with Sibel Jones about what leading an organization has taught her. And next up, we've got a few more on our list of six with a bonus. Number four is influence. We have tremendous influence and power to do the right thing on behalf of the communities, visitors, and people our design is in service to. What should we do with that influence? What do we do with that power? She's, we've done several webinars on this topic and uh, for anyone who knows Elaine Gurian who's probably the mother of museums in some ways she was on one of our webinars and she said don't forget the influence that you have and your ability to make change through the design that you lead we are very well versed in the changing narrative of how we tell stories of history, how we tell stories of present, who needs to be at the table, what kinds of voices need to be invited and participatory, who needs to help co-curate. But our clients oftentimes are not. And this is what I see as CEO of SCGD is so many of our members doing really life-altering work so much so that a kid would go into a museum exhibition experience and see themselves maybe for the first time because prior to that the narrative and the design and the curation may not have been welcoming to them and museums are realizing that status quo is not going to drive audiences into the future so if you have a client who has a process that isn't inclusive of having the right people participatory you can tell them that you can say to them this timeline needs to shift because we need to have audience testing or we need to have community engagement these things are harder they can be more contentious but as a leader you have a voice and you have an opportunity to help that client understand, course correct, rectify. The other thing is that our clients may be doing a project one time in their whole career, right? There's a lot that they may not understand as professionals. You're doing these things every day, every month, every year. And so it's an opportunity to be an educator, to reinforce 
the question of sustainability and and value for these institutions or for these projects and it's also and this can be uncomfortable sometimes you may have to risk walking away from a project on behalf of doing the right thing or making sure that your client is aware that could be they don't want to spend x amount of money to make something overly accessible there's a lot of things that come up in the design process that our leaders in design have the ability to educate and to bring people along and i don't it doesn't have to be contentious or negative it can be exciting it's an opportunity for institutions to reinvent themselves to be the stand up and the standout institution and that will bring more eyes to them and more public awareness and once people start doing the right thing and that could be in any topic in any way then that change makes it easier for the next person coming along uh, we're singing singing from the same hymnal here the idea of sustainability and value those are usually things that that whether you're a listener who needs to convince a boss about that or convince the colleagues on a team or convince a client, depending on what you do, the sustainability of something, the value of something, the maintainability of something, the ownership cost of it, those are numbers you can put to it. What's something you've seen work? What's a method you've seen work to convince an owner or an organization to do the community engagement part of it, that part of it? Because that's a little bit more intangible. And I know in my work, it's often a little bit tricky. You say, hey, that's, this is for the community. Have we talked to them? Not really. Are we going to talk to them? Wasn't planning to. We'd like to talk to you. Let's not do that. <laughs> How, what are some tactics you've seen that open that door? Yeah. The first thing, and this is where go on the SCGD website and look at some of our Global Design Award winners, show them precedents, show them projects that maybe push the envelope, whether it was about sustainability, whether it was about community engagement and co-creation. We just had a, at our wayfinding a placemaking, we had a group from the Crenshaw Project in LA talk about their community engagement project. So I think it may make clients feel less worried about that community engagement if you can show them best-in-class case studies of where that's happened successfully. And if you don't have that, do the research. We have, There are a lot of projects on the SUD website that you can look at to calm their nerves. The other thing is be really specific about the roles and purpose of those engagements. One thing that I've heard from people is that a lot of people will do like a stakeholder group at the beginning and then they never go back to those people. And when they open, though that community feels disenfranchised. It was almost like a token. So there's a monetary advantage to the client because if people feel like they've been brought to the table and that the community has been engaged and you can share it publicly, that's good PR. That's good pr have news articles written on it. Let them share it on their social media about how they're bringing in, whether it's kids or contentious audience groups. 
And they can turn that around to be a public kudos to them for doing a good job. And then those people become their spokesperson to bring those communities that may not have normally attended those kinds of places previously. So I do believe it's a financial investment as well, that they'll reap the reward of having a better, more sustainable business model by taking people along the way and showing them how their voice has been helped in the co-curation of these experiences. And those people want to come and show their family. They'll drag people there if they were a part of it. I think it's just a different way from historically how, if you want to speak to museums in particular, were curated and created. Perfect. So number five is the future. Your point here is that we have a responsibility to to creating the pipeline for the next generation of our communal future. And I think you talked about that when you were introducing yourself at the top of our show, which is that one of your jobs as leader is making sure that you are thinking about the next leader, right? So that's a legacy thing or a next generation thing. What are you doing at SCGD about that pipeline? And what would you recommend to our listeners? Like how, we have listeners to this show who are at all stages of career. What should those people be thinking about their pipeline? So two questions. What are you doing at SCGD? Okay. And what should the listeners be thinking for their own, for their own future, their, whoever's coming next? Yeah, SCGD, actually, I'm proud to say, if we look at our numbers by age, we're a very young organization. I didn't think that before I was CEO, maybe because I know the older generation, but we, our primary members are actually in their 20s and 30s. So we have created a community, which is emerging professionals. Now that could be coming out of college, or it could be someone who's changing their career later in life, but we provide mentoring opportunities, portfolio reviews. These are all free. We have an academic summit coming up, which will probably have over 200 people joining from around the world where people are presenting papers. As a a young professional, you can submit to our Global Design Awards. And actually, if your project is selected, we pay for you to come to the annual conference. So we're doing a lot at SCGD. And now we've just established student chapters at chapter level. We have four or five that have started in conjunction with the university. We have one in New York with FIT. We have one at University of Cincinnati. We have one at UC Long Beach. So we are starting to do that. We also have talked about getting to students before they've made a career path choice in high school. But So that's our next goal at SCGD. But I would say one thing I hear as a leader of SCGD is that when young people come to our events and emerging professionals, they're welcomed by the keynote speaker to talk to them or professionals to share their advice. And so that's part of what I try to champion. I think we all have to do it, and that's why it's important for you, Jonathan, and all these other firms to say, if you look at your population of designers, are you making room for young designers? And people struggle because in my now, as the therapist at SCGD, 
firm owners will say to me, it takes so long to train someone. You know, when people leave jobs and they flip jobs, but you really have to do the investment and it does take time to train. I think it's more challenging, certainly in a hybrid workplace. These, you're investing in your future as a, as a, firm leader, because if you don't create the pipeline for your own office, how is there going to be a pipeline for our profession in general? And remind people that not everyone that works in museums is a designer. Some people are project managers. Some people work at a fabrication shop. Some people are content coordinators. There are a lot of roles that I know most people that are looking for career choices don't realize that they can have, I think we have the sexiest, coolest jobs in the world. Who doesn't want to work on a museum? How awesome is that? So we just have to get the word out and open houses to your studio, invite people in. The other thing is, even in day-to-day meetings, I know everybody's concerned about internal budgets and hours, but just let people shadow you and, and hear you. That's how I learned. Took people as case studies to see how do people present and how do people do different pitches and how do clients interact. And so they need the opportunity to be there absorbing because not everything's taught by here, sit at this computer and detail these things. They have to also experience the other side of what it's like to engage with clients. I like that you've mentioned that a couple of times that you're the that you're the therapist at SEGD, that you're my therapist specifically <laughs> at SEGD. And it's a long I think therapy that session today. I think that's good. It's, it's like you you talk for fifty minutes and then at fifty minutes like we'll talk again next week. It's great. <laughs> right. I want you to think about what we talked about. I'll think about what we talked about and we'll meet next week. Yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. yeah, I love that. A couple more things. One last question, then a bonus. Number six, the last formal point here is that question, the question that I'm supposed to, that you get asked and I'm supposed to ask you and that I do want to ask you, which I'm very curious about. (laughs) Don't you miss designing? Question mark. (laughs) So don't you miss designing? And the answer is no, you don't. I don't. And you're going to tell me why. So tell me why. I don't. I'm shocked. My family's shocked. It's been three years. They still ask me, Mom, don't you really mess designing? I don't because every day I am on a Zoom or I'm in a meeting being introduced to someone who's doing amazing work in this field or I'm reviewing projects to publish. It is so cool. Our community I'm so privileged because the people that are a part of SCGD blow my mind every day. Last week, we did a webinar. I did a webinar with Josh Goldblum from Blue Cadet, and he brought on this guy who's like a title guy, and you know he does title animations, and he does special effects for Blade Runner. Oh, this dude is amazing. And he sends me an email. He's in London. He sends me an email. Oh, if you had any time to spare to talk to me and give me advice, like, dude, you're like the most amazing animation designer out there. What do you want my advice about? So I got on the phone with him and he really wanted to learn more from me about the field and he wants to get more involved in SCGD. It's that 
fills my creative bucket. I would say the only thing I missed about design is my design team because I love them so I still love them dearly and the synergy that you have on a team. But I get that in these conversations and with the members and with the students and it's very fulfilling. Yeah, that's great. I'm like listeners to the show may know this. I'm a recovering musician. There was a time when I was a musician and people, my family and my spouse always used to ask, like, oh, don't, you're still performing, right? You're still doing music, right? And I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, you must miss it, right? And I'm kind of like, no, I'm fine. They're like, oh, you're like a, you're like a sellout. What's wrong with you, man? And it's kind of, I think I just, I did all the music that I yeah. knew, uh, that I had. I'm, I did it all. I did all the music. And now I'm going to go do the other thing. And I think, as you were saying, one of your other points is, thou shalt reinvent thyself. And I think life has room for these things. And also, I did my bucket list. And I needed to make room for the other people at Gallagher to do their bucket list. Yeah, that's the tough thing. You're seeing that a lot now. We're are my generation, and I'm looking at a lot of the leaders that I looked up to in the field are getting to that retirement age. And so it's time to let the next gen step up. They're ready for it. They'll be much better at it than we were. I'm sure of it. Excellent. I'm, I like that. I like the, I love the positivity. Speaking of positivity, do you have a bonus point here, which is about a big event that's coming up for SCGD this summer. And oh. I think we need to hear about that because it's truly a big event. This is not just a normal event. This is a once-in-a-lifetime event. Can you tell our listeners what the heck is going on this summer? Yes, SCGD turns 50. 50, the big five. Oh, and we are hosting our conference, our annual conference in Washington, D.C., and if you watch our sizzle reel at sgd.org, you will see that there is no place that you can go in Washington, D.C. that has not been touched by someone related to SUGD. A museum, a metro, an airport, a cultural hub, wayfinding, a university, the sports stadium. We've done it all. So it's a very proud place for us to be to celebrate our 50th. We're going to be having the founders of PRESCGD. We're going to have amazing speakers, including Lisa Dimitros, who is the granddaughter of Ray and Charles Eames, because we have so many tiebacks in SUGD to the to Ray and Charles Eames, and they're the first multidisciplinary designers. And we will be here the 23rd through the 26th. Our tours are phenomenal. It was almost impossible to pick what museums because, as Jonathan, you all have done many museums in D.C., as many of our members have. And we have a very cool thing. If you sign up, make sure to come on Wednesday because on the afternoon of Wednesday, August 23rd, where we have the Glenstone Museum to ourselves. And if you haven't been to the Glenstone wow, Museum. Wow, really? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Members. I don't think most people know about the Glenstone Museum. They but don't. You, man, you <laughs> got to get there. That's yes. awesome what you just said. 
Yeah. That's like a private museum. That's like, I don't even know what to say about it. It's awesome. I know. It's really exciting. Your friend, Chris Collins, who was on last week, he made that happen. So thank you to Chris and MGAC. Wow. That's so uh, terrific. Giving us that place. So it's going to be great. We have a lot of parties. We have an art competition slam that we're going to have. And a lot of our fellows will be joining us and that will be a great opportunity to get to meet them. We're going to have some panels where you, and a bookstore and we have merch. And if you could see my earrings, Jonathan can tell you how great they are. And we're launching our new website, a new membership platform and a new brand. So lots of new coming. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. This is when we're recording the show. Sibel and I can see each other. We only keep the audio later, but she is wearing some very out-of-the-ordinary earrings, which are these sort of radial circular things with a radial gradient of the SCGD brand colors. Those are going to be jumping off the shelves. If I had, if my ears were pierced, I'm wearing them right right now. now. That's well, I'm already wearing your socks, so it's just we, one oh, more step. we can't step. talk about the socks. No, we're not going to talk about the socks. <laughs> we're going to have another show. We're going to have a special show about socks later on. <laughs> okay, this is awesome. So let's see. Let's do a quick recap of what we talked about. Let's see if I got this all buttoned down. Uh, number one, the topic here that we've been talking about is what leading an organization has taught me, has taught you, Sabelle. Number one, be agile and be willing to reinvent yourself. Number two, collaboration and competition. It's important to have a friendly nemesis and peer competition, but allow the space for open conversations and camaraderie. I love the word nemesis. Number three. I do it's, too. It's a nemesis. Number three, it's a big market. We can market our expertise to many more companies, markets, and projects. Uh, then you may realize that listeners can do more than they they may realize. Number four, influence. Everyone and all the listeners to this show have tremendous influence and power to do the right thing on behalf of the communities, visitors, and people. Our design is in service to. Number five, pipeline. We have a responsibility to create the pipeline for the next generation of our communal future. Number six, that question, why Sabel doesn't miss designing. And extra bonus, Number seven, don't forget to attend the SEGD annual conference, which will be the 50th birthday party of SEGD in August. That We're recording this in May of 2023, and so listeners have three months on the date that this episode is going to drop in order to make their arrangements. And I hear it's going to sell out, right? Yeah. So so yes. make those arrangements make, is the make message Make your here. arrangements now because Jonathan... I don't know if you remember that you volunteered to host a Making the Museum lunch roundtable. Everyone's got to come in order to see whatever that's going to (laughs) be. That will be either excellent or embarrassing or (laughs) both. It may be excellent and embarrassing. That's what I can promise at the moment. Yep. Join us for lunch at that. And making, maybe making you'll the sing because I have heard Jonathan sing it here. There will be that's the singer. no, that's the recovering musician part of things. Okay, this I think we got to all of it. Yeah, check, check, check. How do we do there? Well, it's been awesome to have you on this show. I've been hoping to have you on oh, the show, and I love you, Jonathan. You, you know I love that. you too. We fu- you fulfilled and exceeded 
all of my expectations on the show. Boxes. So if listeners would like to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Email, website, uh, how can, can they track you e- down? Email. It's, I'm, it's simple. It's C-Y-B-E-L-E at scgd.org or go to our website, which is scgd.org. Excellent. Okay. I think we covered it. So thank you, dear listener, for your time. In exchange, I hope this episode gave you some news that you can use. If you'd like to get in touch with me or you have an idea for the show, just go to makingthemuseum.com and hit contact. You can also find me on LinkedIn under Jonathan Alger. I'm always looking out for new links in and also at the website of my firm, C&G Partners. Okay, that's it for this episode. By the way, did you know this podcast has an older sister? It's a very short newsletter currently every weekday under the same name. It's one quick insight a day. One minute long for museum leaders, exhibition teams, and visitor experience pros. You can subscribe at that same place, makingthemuseum.com. There's a big subscribe button in the menu at the top. Meanwhile, I'm Jonathan Alger, and I hope you'll join me next time for Making the Museum. Bye for now.